Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, an artist and psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 266 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. My guest today is Brie Luna, also known as The Hood Witch. She's here to celebrate the publication of her brand new book, Blood, Sex, Magic, Everyday Magic for the Modern Mystic. Join us on Sunday, November 5th, as we have a live online book launch event at Morbid Anatomy Museum with Brie Luna celebrating her new book, Blood, Sex, Magic. You can find tickets at morbidanatomy.org events or psychartcult.org. Please note the time changes in North America this Sunday. So be sure to join us at 2 p.m. New York City time on Sunday, November 5th. Links to everything can be found on the main website, renderingunconscious.org. Rendering Unconscious is a podcast created completely by my own drive and passion. There is no outside funding sources. All support comes from our Patreon community. You can join us there at patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl if you want to support the podcast and all my other creative endeavors. Thank you so much to everyone in our Patreon community. Your support is so very appreciated. You can also view this conversation at Trapar Films YouTube page. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube. At Trapar Films YouTube channel, you'll also find Carl Abrahamson's film, Anton LaVey, Into the Devil's Den, which he's just uploaded to YouTube for free viewing. So, enjoy. So, Brie, I'm so excited about your new book. It's so fabulous. Where should we start? Should we talk about maybe how the book came about or... Um, sure. We can start with how the book came about. Um, I had been doing the hood, Witch probably for about, because I'm celebrating my 10 year anniversary this year. Um, so this was about pre COVID, I would say right before the pandemic, the lockdown, I, um, received a couple of emails from multiple publishing companies that had an interest in wanting to do a book with me. And a lot of the publishing companies didn't really feel like a great fit at that point in my life. So I, you know, politely declined a lot of them. And I really wanted to give some thought and consideration as to like what a book for me would look like. And the first thing that I really initially thought of was doing a very loose, I wouldn't say loose, but just a very different approach to a memoir, um, a collection of memories, a collection of spells, a collection of my history, my family, our stories, the women in my family, my grandmothers. Um, I really would like to have, I wanted to have that documented. 
And so that was really the biggest inspiration for me. And at that time, a lot of the publishers that were approaching me, they wanted a very specific formula, a very black and white witch book or a, you know, new age type of book. And I was like, nah, this doesn't really, that's not me. That doesn't, that doesn't feel right. So I just sat with this and I said, well, what feels good to me? And this is where the visual, the heavy visual component comes in where I was like, I want to stay true to my vision of what the hood witch was and has always been, which was lots of art. I love art. I love contemporary art. I love music. I love film. I love, you know, things that are just full of imagination and color and culture and mixing modern and ancient and just, you know, having all of those things. So my brain really is, it feels like a collage. (laughs) So I knew already that my book needed to have heavy visual components to it. Yeah. And it's such a gorgeous book and has such great aesthetics as you do in your Instagram and everywhere else as well. It's really beautifully printed as well. Thank you. I actually, and this is something I really pride myself in. Um, I worked with the designer and every page in that book that is laid out is from me. That was my vision. That was exactly what I wanted it to look like. So maybe that's my new line of work. <laughs> no, you can really tell. I mean, when I was looking through it, I was like, obviously you had like a heavy hand in designing this book because it's totally like perfect spot on aesthetics. And if you had handed it over to another designer, yeah, it wouldn't be you. It wouldn't look like that, you know? Yeah, that was something that was really important for me. So from the from the jump, I was just like, this book needs to be very symbolic. It needs to represent me and it needs to feel like me. Um, so that was really, that was exciting for me. And that's really where it came from. So I started doing blood sex magic pre-pandemic lockdown. And I always joke and I say, I was really just, you know, I was in shock when I found the right fit, when I found the publishers who said, okay, you want it to be in color. You want to do this type of, you know, memoir style book. Sure. Why not? I was like, really? Sure. Okay. Let's do it. And And I was coming at the perfect time. Right. And I was just like, but, you know, it was such a strange time for all of us, you know, going into lockdown. We really didn't know what was happening. We didn't know if we were going to get sick. We didn't know we're going to die or, you know, what's happening in the world. And I was really scared. And so I spent a lot of time. I didn't feel creative at all. I was scared. I felt afraid I missed my family, my friends. It was a lot of isolation. And I think most people would say, oh, well, that's a perfect time to write a book, but not really. You know, when you're thinking about your health and you're thinking about your job or, you know what I mean? Like just Mm -hmm. everyone's mental health. And it was just, it was very, um, it was just a really rough time. Absolutely. But you pulled it off. I did. I pulled from places. It took me roughly, I would say, two years, two and a half years to 
almost three to complete blood sex magic. And I still feel like I can keep going. <laughs> I want to, I want to keep going. I, this was just, it was such a liberating process, scary, lots of tears, lots of frustration. Um, It's easy, you know, I guess for certain people where there are like ghost writers or, you know, you have someone step in to write for you. And I said, absolutely not. This is my family. This is my story. This is my lineage. Why would I want someone else to write that for me? <laughs> yeah. When it's a real creative work like that, it's really like birthing a book, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you said in the book too, you know, witchcraft, you're born a witch. It comes in your blood. It comes through your ancestry. It's knowledge that can't be taken from you. You know, people nowadays, it seems like are uncovering that knowledge more and more. And it seems really critical as the earth is in such a critical point and society is at such a critical point. Absolutely. Um, I definitely feel that way. And I really connected and tapped into my own power and magic, I guess you would say, with this process, because, you know, again, when you're writing, you're really sitting in that liminal space. And I had my own rituals to get me in the space, get me in the zone to write. Some days I did not want to write. Some days I didn't feel like writing. I didn't feel motivated. You know, you have that voice of sort of like self-doubt where you're like, no one cares. Everyone cares. Or, you know, it's like that back and forth where it's like, why am I doing this? Well, because this is what you were born to do. Well, why would, why should I do this? So it's like, you know, that constant back and forth, that nagging. And I think a huge part of like magic and transformation and rebirthing and death. And I think this was so perfect too, with like having a book that comes out during Scorpio season and on Halloween, it just, I couldn't have asked for a better date because to me, it feels like it's just come full circle. I do not feel like the same person I was when I started writing the book. Yeah. And coinciding with 10 years of the hood witch. Completion. It's a cycle of completion. I like just wept. I sat and I cried. I still get like really emotional thinking about it because I'm like, wow, you really did this for 10 years. I've had put the blood and the sweat and the tears and the sex and the magic, <laughs> you know, you put that into this is my work. This is my baby. This is in the hood, which is even a Scorpio too. my website. I launched that in November and she's a Scorpio. And I'm like, now I have a new book, baby. That's a Scorpio. So that's a really big, you know, thing for me. Um, I have a Scorpio rising. I have a tattoo. <laughs> so it's always present in my life um, to remember the cycles of life and death and rebirth and allowing yourself to create and destroy old versions, old stories, old, you know, ideas of yourself and to not really hold on to anything too much. So I think that's where I'm at right now. I'm really excited to see what is the next phase for me? What happens next? 
Yeah, I think everyone who follows you and reads the book and follows the hood wish is going to be excited to see what you come up with next. We'll see. I've been really drawn to wanting to make a film. It'll be great you know I mean? as well. I was like, you know, um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but prior to starting doing The Hood Witch when I was in my early, like, I would say like early 20s, like late teens, like maybe 19, 20 years old, I really wanted to go to school for cinematography. And I think that's where my love for like visual art, and I like to call it visual storytelling, where it's like taking art and color or, you know, symbols, things that really speak to people's subconscious. Because I think that a lot of times the visual aesthetic or the visual imagery of something like can take someone and really teleport them to a completely different time or they'll understand the story better. And that to me is that's magic that's that is a form of magic yeah because you can really paint a picture and like get a full immersion of different senses and things in the work absolutely and I think that was something I struggled with when I initially started the hood witch you know back in the day like 10 years ago most witches or like witch instagrams pages like it had a very specific formula and i always laugh at this it's something i joke about with pam grossman my friend she always says it's like the black and silver witch aesthetic or you know what i mean everyone had the like it was very like celtic witch and like american horror story like and then i was like well where do i fit into this you know i didn't really fit into that aesthetic and i was like well i'm like a black Mexican practitioner and I love like my long, you know, colorful nails and gold jewelry. And, you know, it just more, it felt aligned with my culture and how I expressed myself and the art that I liked was really colorful. So there was that just a position of like the Gothic, which, you know, everyone's like, Oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. And I kind of came in and disrupted that and said, no, I don't think this is this is how I feel. You know, this is my expression of that. And a lot of people really wanted to, like, minimize me uh, <laughs> because they're like, oh, well, all she cares about is, like, the visual aesthetic. And I'm like, well, no shit. Like, that's what, what Instagram was for. You know, that was we were supposed to be telling a story. We were supposed to be sharing art. We were supposed to be, you know what I mean? Like, that. that's the beauty of it. If you can create that, if you are a creative person, wonderful it just so happens that my creativity and my vision was put into my branding and at that time I didn't know anything about branding I was just sharing what I liked mm -hmm. and it became very distinct with my brand that I started and so I think a lot of people wanted to reduce that to just being like oh well this is just an aesthetic like real witches do this and i'm just like yeah okay like you don't get to define what that means you know so i think in my book it's like no one gets to define you you are the you are the person and that's the beauty of even calling yourself a witch and reclaiming that word having autonomy having you know that power to say you don't get to tell me you don't get to define me. 
what my practice, what my practice looks like, what my magic looks like, how that shows up in the world, how that is expressed in the world. And I think a huge part of that was like, of me just doing what felt right in that time. And so now we see so many witch brands and businesses and, you know, we, you see it. Like I have got, have gotten newsletters from hotels that are like, we're going to teach you about astrology and the full moon ceremony. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) So it's just, it comes full circle, you know? And, and I really, I love that this, I call it this modern witch renaissance has happened. And I love seeing so many people reconnecting back to their pagan practices and their knowledge of like folk magic and cultural inheritance of, you know, just the stories and the spells and just, oh, it's so beautiful to see. <laughs> yeah, it's so much richer. And like you talk about in the book as well, like so much of this has been kind of uh, socialized out of people through like colonization and patriarchy. And it's just really wonderful and important to see so many people like getting back to their roots and grabbing their magic and trusting their intuition again, rather than constantly feeling like like we've all been told, oh, you're crazy. You're the hysterical woman. What's going on with you? like be a good girl get in line we can control you you know absolutely and that was something you know that I spoke about in the sex chapter I believe it was it's like why I really had such a love and admiration for the witch or you know as a little girl many times like the over sexualized woman was always seen as being like evil and I'm like no she's pretty fucking cool and I'm like I want to be that like I want to be the sexy witch I love that but I even I also have such a love of the hag I love just like just the witch in every embodiment you know what I mean and I think that that's such an exciting thing for me. I love that so many women and women identifying people are just like, fuck you. Like, I don't care about these patriarchal standards of like, you know, as you were saying, like getting in line and being quiet and shutting up and it doesn't matter what you think or it's not real science or, you know, because it's not proven by a white man at a university it's not real and Mm -hmm. it's like no I'm sorry I don't I don't subscribe to that like I believe that there's room for many types of science and information uh but I just I don't subscribe to this idea I guess that's always been my problem too you know we were talking about I I wrote about that in my book Um, (laughs) of being this like adolescent and getting in so much trouble. I was always asking the questions that I was curious about. And people at church didn't like that. Christian men and women did not like this little girl asking questions. And they really shamed me and made me feel bad. And I wrote about 
story that one of my oldest memories, I was not joking, probably about five years old. And I was taken to a babysitter and she was like a really religious, strong black Baptist woman. And uh, I remember coloring at the table in her house because she had like a little daycare and she was giving us the crayons to play with. And I remember I was coloring with my left hand and she squeezed my hand. She grabbed my hand and she said, you don't write with the devil's hand. And I was like, what? What the fuck is the devil's hand? The left hand? I was like, I'm five years old. What does that mean? So that was something that stuck in my mind where I'm like, how could you do that to a child? What does that even mean? What What is that? You know what I mean? Like how, <laughs> how could you do that to a child? So my experiences, you know, growing up, especially like as a black and Mexican woman and living in Los Angeles and during this time, you know, I always say that like kids have it easier now where it's like growing up listening to like, black metal or like punk or like glam rock or, you know, just having more influences outside of your cultural norm. Like I was a fucking weirdo. I liked the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I liked David Bowie. I like, you know, I just, I loved um, just things that were not considered the norm for what people in my community thought I should be into. And I was really criticized and picked on a lot for that. And, you know, I never really cared, though. I, did, I didn't care. I And that's what I love so much about Little Brie, where I'm like, oh, the little witch, you know, that is who I was. I was just so unapologetic and so unapologetically myself. And I found my group of like I, this is what I told people. I start laughing. I think I wrote about this in the book too. Uh, creating my own coven when I was like in junior high, and we're like, we're gonna put spells on boys. <laughs> <laughs> so we would, I would like go to, and this is I think we're also, you know, my love, and I talk about this a lot. I've had such a love for books and a literary fascination, and that comes from my grandma Sylvia. She was an avid reader. She taught me how to read when I was four years old at her kitchen table with the National Enquirer. <laughs> or um, she had those other, you know, like just like really trashy, like uh, grocery store magazines. Yeah, you like so it was Bat Boy on the cover. The Bat Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was how I learned how to read, like reading about Bat Boy and like, UFOs and like, you know, JFK is a UFO skit, you know, like just weird shit like that. So I grew up with that. And my grandmother loved like mystery, like murder stories and like true crime books. So I grew up with such a love and such an affinity for literacy and books that it just opened up a new world for me. I worked in my school library um, and I would steal the books that I <laughs> that I really wanted I was like oh you know and that's like I truly that's like the beginning of like my uh book hoarding uh really started but yeah I mean there's just I can go on forever but truly like uh the little baby witch inside of me there was always this hunger for 
more information, more knowledge. I loved magic. I loved learning about the tarot. I loved the idea of changing my reality and changing my circumstances and having like familiars and learning about these like women who were powerful, you know? And so at that time, I think, uh, I was really, you know, learning because, you know, in most bookstores, it was like new age books and like pagan, uh, primarily focused on like Wicca and things like that. So that's what I thought. The only thing about, you know, I only thought that was witchcraft, but not knowing in my own family, you know, as we get deeper into my book and we start talking about my grandmother, Althea, who's from the South, just from Texas. And I had a step-grandmother named Eula. I didn't really talk too much about her in my book, but she was from Louisiana. And she, I learned, I mean, over time, I didn't believe that. I didn't think that my grandmothers were quote unquote witches because to me, they didn't look like the representation that I saw in these books. Mm -hmm. What I saw in these books, you know, were like ethereal, like white women and like fairies and, you know, like just like I said, very wiccan pagan uh type things but there was nothing about like african spirituality or conjure or voodoo or hoodoo or you know what i mean i i mm. never had those resources but not knowing that they were already there and because i didn't see it as witchcraft i just thought oh they're like they're superstitious and as i got older i was like oh and and reclaiming and coming back to my family's practices, I said, oh, shit, it's been here all along. No wonder this little girl, you know, has this fascination. I'm like, girl, like this is in your blood. This is your this is your lineage. This is these traditions are not something that you I learned that I learned about from a book, you know, and, and I share certain recipes. And there's some stuff that I don't share because, you know, I just think that they're not to be like a gatekeeper, but there's certain things I think with African American traditions that are passed down orally and they're just things that are kept in your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's good. Like you said, sometimes the witch needs her privacy and doesn't say exactly <laughs> how things are done most of the time. <laughs> I think that most, I, I, I would have to say that most books on witchcraft or spell work you know you get a version do you get a hundred percent of every single bit of knowledge that they know absolutely not do you receive bits of information that are helpful i i put out into my book and this is i'm being very honest with you the things that I shared in my book are things that I feel confident and I feel good with sharing. This is from my practice. This is from my experience. This is the way that I've learned things in my family. This is not to say this is the end all and be all of anyone's magical practice. So it is why, you know, I say in my book, I'm like, take what you need, you know, take what works for you. Um, but don't, limit yourself to the way that I'm practicing because this is how it was taught to me. This is from my experience, my lived experience. This is how this has worked for me. 
Yeah, exactly. And the best way is to like use it as a starting point or inspiration. Then people can kind of play with spells in their own way and like make them work for them through through their practice and intuition. Absolutely. It's great. And I love how you talk about very practical things, though, and how people can integrate magic into their day to day life in very like material ways and that there's nothing like mundane versus like supernatural, like it's all kind of together, you know? Yeah, that's, you know, I I think that's a huge part of how I live my life. There is, I mean, yeah, sure. Like not everything when you wake up is going to be like, a magic spell you know I'm like I still have to go grocery shopping and doing my laundry but you know when I am doing my laundry there is intention if I've had like an especially heavy or like shitty interaction with someone or you know and I'm wearing a specific thing or if my house just feels dirty if there is a new season I you know I make floor washes I do like even when I'm doing my laundry like adding some Florida water in like doing you know rituals with with my clean the cleaning of my house so it's like there's just so many things I grew up with that I now see like oh that was so witchy Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was so magical but the way that my grandmothers and my aunts and my mom like implemented these things I, you know, it just became second nature. I didn't see it as being magical or mundane. I just saw it as just tradition just existed. You just did it. You know, it's wonderful. Um, I grew up in Miami, so I'm fortunately got to be around a lot of like Santeria and Voodoo and mm-hmm. and the colorful, the colorful magic. That's to me like, yeah, that's where where it's at. That's my favorite thing, like growing up and. I love, I mean, even still to this day, I love going into, no matter where I'm at in the world, if they have a botanica or they have like a witch supply store, I'm always just so drawn to them. I want to see what's in there. I want to buy their candles. I want to buy everything. But every store has its own energy too. So that's uh, that's always been a fascination for me. But yeah, I, I've always just really enjoyed like, the colors of the candles and like the smell, like I can really visualize the botanica I'd go to a lot with my grandmother in South Central. And it's so sad because during COVID they actually closed down and it was like one of the last big like warehouse botanica supply stores. I hope I've, I've heard things that they may have like reopened. I'm not sure, but they were a huge pillar within the community of buying candles and getting information. And I was always so nosy too as a kid because I loved like seeing, and even now as an adult, when I go to the Botanica, like I love seeing what's in people's carts. Like, ooh, what are they doing? Like, what are they like? <laughs> I'm like, I'm so nosy, but I'm like, ooh, like what candles are they getting? Or like, what oils are they buying? Like, but for the most part, I always see people buying like love spell stuff. And I'm like, oh God, they're not worth it. Don't put it back. If they're not worth it. <laughs> yeah. If you need to do that, then they're not worth it. <laughs> save your save your energy. And believe it or not, there were like a lot of men that would be in the botanica buying like stuff to like love magic spells to put on, I'm assuming like their significant others. So 
I love I being nosy. <laughs> I'm like, I, I love being nosy. <laughs> I love on your, you talk about a little bit in the book too, about on your Instagram once in a while, you, you post about uh, like, c- just cut people off, you know? <laughs> Yes, I, I just them. hope I want like young women and femmes to just like get to that point like much faster like j- just cut them off they're not worth it like the more you cut old bad patterns out the faster you'll get people that like resonate with you in a good way in you know you know interestingly enough I learned from an elder he told me something and it always stuck with me about love spells he said that if you've come to the point where you are then channeling your energy into someone to reciprocate love and respect for you you've already you've already submitted yourself to be in their control so regardless of how this spell you know the energy that you're investing into it and putting into this ritual you are already at their mercy Because they're not worried about you. They're not thinking about putting the spell on you for your love, your attention, your affection, your admiration, your respect. You are seeking that from them. So you're already at their mercy. (laughs) And I always just sort of stuck with that where I'm like, shit, like I'm the, he's right. Like I'm the one that's buying all of these supplies and like trying to make this person love or respect me like fuck that you know and that's where I think I reached this point where I was like it's good love and sex magic I love that in relationships where it is reciprocated you can create some pretty powerful shit you know when you're both in union together and you both decide this is something that we want to commit to together. Mm-hmm. We want to be bound together. We want to create this spell together. And that love is just, oh, it feels so, it feels good. But I think that whenever you, whenever you really feel like called to utilize magic or your energy, and your resources into putting a spell of love on someone, it's just like you already lost. <laughs> no, it just I've seen it, I've seen too many things go wrong. And of course, I've li- I've I've lived and learned, I've been the baby witch, I've been the dumbass, you know, I've done so many like stupid, stupid things. But I think that's the beauty also too in witchcraft. That's why I don't like judging anyone's practice. I really don't. If you do love spells and they work for you and you feel good about that, then more power to you. I am in no position. Obviously, I will never judge someone's practice, what they do and what works for them. I'm just saying like, you know, for beginners and sort of like novice practitioners, be careful. But that's, you know, that's with anything. Just, I think just be Be responsible for your energy and be responsible for your magic. And if anything, invest that into yourself. Channel that into yourself because maybe what you're seeking from someone who isn't showing you or reciprocating the admiration or affection for you, you are longing for within yourself. And I think that you can never go wrong in self-enchanting and, you know, 
worshiping yourself and making yourself feel so powerful, so good, you know, that you don't really need someone else to validate you and and validate that. Absolutely. No, I definitely, there was like a specific turning point in my life where I just had this realization of like, what if I stopped investing all this energy that I put into these relationships that are like, just like dragging me down and I just like cut them off and I like invest that energy in myself. And that was maybe like 10 years ago. My life is so much better now. (laughs) Right. And see, I was like, it sounds so cliche and people are like, just love yourself, just love yourself. But it's like, that is magic to me. Self-love is like, you know, we, I attended the class with morbid anatomy about Anton LaVey and I fucking love him because, you know, self adoration, self-admiration, self-love is a very satanic, you know, <laughs> uh, is a very satanic, what, what would that be like a tenant? Um, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. That to me, I think I was always born. I always joke about this with my friends where I'm like, oh, I was a natural born Satanist. But I'm like, I don't obviously like walk around where I'm like, I'm Satanic. I'm a Satan. But I'm like, a lot of the things I do agree with, with like Levian Satanism. Um, but obviously, like the form of like self-love and admiration, it will change your life. It truly, it truly will. And I think it's okay to be selfish with your power and your magic and your confidence. And that's how you build a strong practice. You need to know yourself, have a relationship to self and don't seek out, you know, again, like I I keep reiterating this, I guess, even in my book, it's like, don't seek out the approval from anyone else outside of yourself. Yeah, but it's really important. It's an important point in the society like patriarchy, white supremacy is one hand. And then also like this whole Christian narrative of like, you should just like drain yourself and martyr yourself for everybody else. And it it doesn't work for people. It's not healthy. It's not good as a psychologist. I feel like everyone comes in and have to like help them learn to like stop doing that because it's, it's, it's just no good for anyone and doesn't benefit the other people either. That's where it makes me laugh because there is a quote in my book and I made sure that it was like, you know, very prominent where it says, I'm a witch, not a saint. And to me, it was like, I'm not going to become a martyr. I'm not going to sacrifice myself for you. I never, I will never do that because I think especially for black women and women of color and women just in general, you know, as we were saying women and fems and queer people, it's like, we have had to sacrifice and hide and play small and be subservient and be so quiet. And it's just, no, no, you're not doing that anymore. It's the times have changed. And I just, I love seeing again, like just this demonic, feminine, wild, like Lilith energy, Babylonian energy, Babylon, you know, (laughs) just like, I love that like demonic feminine. I love this like resurgence of the dark feminine and having these themes around shadow work and you know not hiding away from it because you know we as you see we've seen in phases right with like this witch resurgence so like 
in the 60s, we had this like psychedelic wave where everyone, you know, was discovering like acid and like Eastern philosophy and, you know, all of those mm -hmm. types of things. So, and then we have like the Satanism and then like the seventies, it was like astrology and new age and all those types of things. But I feel like the eighties had that like very culturally appropriative, like new age i'm a shaman <laughs> like that's where we have like crystals we have the 90s so it's like goes into like wicca and the craft and like gothy like paganism and so now we're in the space where it's like well what is this era of the witch resurgence look like or you know what i'm saying like what what does that look like and i think it looks really fucking cool because there's so many people who are culturally tapping in. And, you know, this is something I spoke to in the beginning of our interview. There are so many people now tapping back into their ancestral lineage and magic. Like there are so many people that I, when I look on Instagram, I found this really cool group. I can't remember their name off top, but I believe that they're like from Siberia and they practice a form of it's like all women and they practice a form of traditional throat singing mm -hmm. and their pagan roots and they're doing the shamanic like drumming and they're wearing their like cultural outfits and they're telling stories that have been passed down through like oral tradition. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like mm -hmm. seeing these um, I have like Romanian witches that I follow and seeing them now in like 2023 um, sharing their like spells and their culture and their magic. I'm just like, wow, this is so beautiful. I'm like, it makes me want to cry where I'm like, I love seeing this. I love seeing how like the church tried to destroy all of us and try to get rid of us. And I was like, the witch lives in all of us because she's never died and i was like the witch has never died and that wild spirit that essence that soul that like fuck you is always going to live throughout you know the essence of time that's right i like it and and yeah i mean i always think of like because like in you know psychology and psychoanalysis you know everyone seems to understand like intellectually how colonialism has like you know made things un unfair for the global south and disadvantaged black people and things like that but they don't seem to understand how it's also stigmatized magic and witchcraft and i feel like i'm always there like trying to get them to see that i don't know if they ever will but <laughs> but it's it's really heartening to see um, you know, this is this is all tied together, like colonization wouldn't have happened without like Catholicism, Christianity and everything. And it's like led to capitalism, and this ramp rampant society that we have that's just like destroying the earth and people at like every turn. Um, and it's really has tried to destroy everybody's individuality and all these different cultures. And yeah, it's not working. And at the end of the day, yeah, the, this this version of society is so short. Like it, like you said before, like this knowledge may not be like scientific knowledge made by a white man in a university, but it's knowledge that's been passed down for like thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So Since how does the this beginning of time, right? Yeah. yeah. So how does this little white man at the university think that like what he's developed over like the past like 150 years is more important than than what's been going on for thousands of years. It's like absurd, you know? And you know what's even funnier is that when we're seeing this resurgence of like psychedelics and ayahuasca and mushrooms and you're like, 
are you kidding me? This is indigenous medicine. This has been in the jungles. This has been in the rainforest. This has been a tradition. These are traditions that have been upheld by, you know, the shaman, by the gatekeepers of wisdom and of knowledge. And they're entrusted in their villages to have this knowledge and to pass it down. And then, of course, we have, like I said, white men going into jungles and they're like, wow, what's this? Like, we found out about mushrooms and we have like Maria Sabina, you know, in Mexico. We have elders who have been in these mountains teaching this indigenous medicine to her community and healing her community. And then, of course, when you have scientists come in from universities and then they get to pick and choose. Oh, wow, this this works. Oh, I had a experience. I went on a journey. So now I'm going to take this back to the cities. I'm going to take this back. It's still a form of colonialism. It's like spiritual terrorism to me where I'm like, you go into the rainforest, you're taking sacred medicine, and now you get to repackage it as like, a drug we're gonna you know get trippy and i'm gonna like expand my consciousness it's like no and sell it this yes and sell it and it's like <laughs> why are we now in 2023 finally getting to a place where we're like well maybe there are you know some benefits to working with psychedelics maybe and it's like bitch we've been saying this and you know our elders have been saying this for like hundreds of years and you called them savages and you know it's like I, I look at this and I'm just like you know on one hand yes wonderful the masses are waking up to you know other forms of healing outside of western big pharma but at what expense at whose expense and I think that I think that's why it's so important for me, specifically as a practitioner of magic, and in some day being an ancestor to share my thoughts and my art and my story and my memories and to keep these pieces of our culture and history alive and a part of my history that I have stepped in and I've created in this realm of magic and this legacy that I'm building as a black and brown woman that I now get to be immortalized in a book. And I always say that because I think that books are these little time capsules. They're moments in time that we can look back from hundreds of years ago. These were sacred. Books are sacred and they hold so much power. And I think about, you know, the future where I said, well, what if a hundred years from now, someone finds my book? 
and finds my story. They're like, who is that? Like, what, who is this? Like, what is that? Like, there was a black witch. There is a black Mexican witch that, you know, made all these colorful things in this weird archaic box. You know, what is this? You know, I just, it gives me such a thrill. It gives me such joy to now be responsible in a sense for preserving my grandparents' wisdom as well as my own. So that's why I guess I laugh and I, when I say like, I'm like, I'm the ancient future, you know, or I'm like, I love that concept. So I'm really, really grateful that I was able to create this book and hopefully inspire um, people who pick it up and buy it. And if you connect with it, then wonderful. If even just one person connects with my book outside of myself and outside of my realm, you know, my circle of people, then that means that I've done my job. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Brie Luna, aka The Hood Witch. Be sure to pick up her new book, Blood, Sex, Magic, The Everyday Magic for the Modern Mystic. And follow her on social media at The Hood Witch. Links to everything can be found at renderingunconscious.org. And join us this Sunday, November 5th at 2 p.m. New York City time for a live online event celebrating the launch of Blood Sex Magic, Everyday Magic for the Modern Mystic with Brie Luna of The Hood Witch, hosted by myself and Carl Abrahamson. You can visit morbidanatomy.org events to sign up. Please note the time changes in North America this Sunday, so be sure to join us at 2 p.m. New York City time on Sunday, November 5th. As always, huge thanks to Carl Abrahamson for providing the intro and outro music to Rendering Unconscious podcast. You can follow him on social media at carl.abrahamson on Instagram and visit his main website at carlabrahamson.com And now the song I'm in love with a witch remixed by Knife Sex from the album The Larval Stage of a Bookworm by Carl Abrahamson Available at highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com and streaming at Spotify and other streaming services. Enjoy. Oh, 